This podcast is sponsored by Agape Match. Agape Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapematch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a 60-second audio question to be featured in a future episode by visiting askamatchmaker.com. It literally takes one minute to ask a question. This week's guest is comedian Selena Kopic. Now, before I bring on my guest, I just want to thank you all for listening to Ask a Matchmaker and of course to my OG fans for sending in your dating and relationship questions. I can tell that a lot of my listeners are women. And what I want to say here is I the one thing I can guarantee is that whenever a woman meets another woman, she always talks about the two Ds, dieting and dating. And screw dieting, we're still in a pandemic, but let's talk about dating. If your friends are talking to you about dating and relationships, telling you about someone they've fallen in love with over Instagram, and they have not met this person, and they don't know what they're doing, you have them come to this podcast and listen to these episodes. You know, shut them down, bring them over here, tell them to send audio questions. You know, I love audio questions and let's keep making Ask a Matchmaker bigger and bigger. I love you so much. Let's keep going. All right. Now let's bring in our guest, Selena Kopic. Selena Kopic is a stand-up comedian, writer, author, and storyteller based in New York City. She's the creator and voice of NYT Vows or New York Times Vows. Follow NYT Vows on Twitter and Instagram and you will laugh your butt off. She has the parody Twitter and Instagram account that lampoons the New York Times wedding section and the wedding industrial complex, wasps, and courtship rituals of the rich and insufferable. She is also the creator and host of Two Wick Minimum, a make America's favorite and only podcast about candles. We're going to talk about that. In December 2017, she released her debut stand-up album, Seen Better Days, which hit number one in the iTunes comedy chart. Welcome, welcome. Yes, hello, Maria. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I discovered you on Twitter and then I followed you on Instagram. I love your content. It's funny because I I sometimes read the New York Times vow section. I don't know why. Maybe it's because... um, (laughs) It's such a great hate read. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But I don't, you know, I don't have like the whole social commentary that you do. Like you're like, I think briefly as I'm reading it, I think to myself like, well, that's stupid or oh, okay. You know, uh uh-huh. But then I don't, I don't think to like screenshot it and actually <laughs> comment on it. And you yeah. do. And it's, it's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. It's a fun mix. Like, so on Sundays is when I comment on that day's actual section, which is why like, you know, I kind of like to differentiate visually, which is why I like screenshot it because I, li- I like hard copy papers. I love old newspaper. I don't like reading stuff. Oh, you know, wait, you buy the paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just have the weekender. So I get it delivered Saturday and Sunday. And I mean, if it doesn't get stolen off my stoop, which that does happen a fair amount. Well, but also because I work in publishing during the day and I edit books on my computer, like everything is digital. Uh-huh. So on Saturdays and Sundays, if I can give my eyeballs a little break and read 
our actual hard copy newspaper or books. Like I just, I prefer that. Um, it's a fun way to keep it fresh because I always have new inspiration every Sunday. Cause like, it's just, I mean, it's so much fun. I, I do try to never be mean to the actual people. Cause this is a huge day, you know, like it's so exciting. They're in the New York times for some people. This is like the apex of their lives. You know, you know, I try not to ever be mean, but like, I will sort of point things out and either, say something or just open it up to like thoughts and then people in the comments can say what they want but i think it's important for the account itself to never be mean to specific real humans you know what i mean let's take a step back where are you from i grew up in weston massachusetts um which actually so in the suburbs of boston you tell me if i'm right here Uh, first of all where is weston how far is that from boston it's, I think it's t- technically 12 miles outside. It's like oh, right okay. there. Oh, okay. So it's basically yeah. Boston. Boston Metro. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. And I know I have Boston listeners, so don't get mad. But here's what I noticed. Boston is a little bit like London, where everyone is polite, but nobody is friendly. But yes. in New York, no one is polite, but everyone is friendly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I think that is right. I think because it sort of is feels like a bit of a small town that I think it can be hard to make new friends there if you don't already have friends. You know, like if you didn't go to college in the area or you didn't grow up in the area, I wonder if at age 22, 23, if it's very difficult. I, I met my husband in Boston and, and I, I've gone out many times there. You know, this was pre-kids, pre-COVID, good t- alcohol tolerance, which I have none of this now. But anyway, but I remember when I was in Boston, I would always I was always struck by similar to Philadelphia, there's a bit of a pack mentality among mm-hmm. the men. So Mm. there's going to be a leader in the group. It's going to be a bunch of men. And it's like, as a woman, it's kind of hard to penetrate. Yeah. And a little Whereas in New York, I think it's a lot easier in Mm -hmm. a way to meet men. You could just go up to a guy and just start talking without, and the other guy's kind of like, they all turn their bodies a little bit to let it happen. Whereas like the few times I've been to Philly and Boston, not even as a single woman, it's just as a person observing as a professional. Mm-hmm. I noticed that like, if a, first of all, a woman won't go up to a guy, but if she does, it's like, they kind of lurk over the man and they're like, what's she, what's she, what's she want? What's she want? What's going on? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. That's hard. It's hard to that's meet really, like that. It's pressure. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of thinking of it. And, but I agree with what you said about London. Cause in junior year in college, I studied abroad in London. I did feel like it was that way very much. So polite, yeah. but not friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I realized it was like that, my, my sister lived in London and I visited a few times and, and I've been to London also for work a few times as well. And I remember my dad doesn't listen to my podcast, so this doesn't matter, but I, I was having a <laughs> cigarette outside. <laughs> I love how we never outgrow still holding that in. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm 40 and I still am like, there's certain things I might don't ever want my dad to hear, even here. Well, I mean, I only, I only smoke in Europe and, yeah. uh... <laughs> That's such a great saying. I'm like, I might have to steal that for NYT Vows. <laughs> so yeah, I went out to my first cigarette and you know, I, when I was single and I always knew that like, if I want to talk to someone, just don't bring a lighter. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's like 100%. the best way to meet oh, someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pick up smoking, be yes, a European. Oh, I know. Oh, totally. It's you know, such a the, the New York Times vow writes itself right now. Pick up yeah. smoking, <laughs> meet a European. There you go. Yeah. So I'm having a cigarette. I, I, I asked for a lighter. This really cute guy, you know, gives me his light I'm, and I'm, he's talking with his friends and I'm talking to them. We're having like a really nice conversation. Stayed at for another, another cigarette. Like we're all like kind of vibing and riffing off each other. It was great. I go back inside. I'm out with my friends, having a good time, a few more drinks, whatever. I go back outside maybe like an hour later. 
and I see the guys out there and I'm like, Hey, let me get your lighter again. And he's like, do I know you? And I'm like, Whoa, we just talked an hour ago for like 20 minutes. Yeah. What? And is this like, then the politeness is, are we not friends now? Like, are we not tag friends here? I mean, that's just one instance of of several that I noticed when I was there. I was, and I've, I've noticed this in Boston too. Like if not, not transplants in Boston. I think the transient vibe of Boston, these people are so hungry. My husband included. They're so hungry for affection. <laughs> so they'll be friendly to anyone. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you just kind of, it's just very interesting to see the difference because in New York, everyone's an asshole. Everyone's mm. an asshole. Yeah. But my Lord, will they take off their AirPods and tell you how to get to the subway and oh, exactly. which store has the sale and oh, I know. You know, oh, take my mask off my face. You can have this mask. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, I feel like we're all sort of in a hurry and we know what we want and we're moving and grooving. But if, I mean, I know I also used to be a tour guide here in New York and it just put me in this, I felt like I'm in constant tour guide mentality where, you know, like if somebody needs me to take a picture, I'm taking five. Let's try different angles. I feel like I'm always doing this. If I see like a couple trying to take a selfie, I always offer, Hey, do you want me to take a photo of you guys? I know. Like you're by yourself. So it's going to take a, let me, let me take the nice photo. I love this. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do that a lot. Yeah. I feel like no one will give you the shirt off their back more than a New Yorker. Okay. So you moved to New York. And what came first, the New York Times vows or the stand-up comedy? Stand-up comedy has been my thing for a long time. I So I went to college in upstate New York. I went to Hamilton, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And then after Hamilton, lived in Chicago for a year and was doing improv comedy. So not stand-up. Oh, but at any particular I, group? Yeah, I was taking classes at I, Improv Olympic, I.O. I was just there for one year and then moved back to Boston and was in Boston for a few years. And that's where I started in stand-up. It was in Boston at the Comedy Studio, which used to be right in Harvard Square. And it was this oh, like- I've been there. Yeah, it's so great. It's yeah. like up three, you know, on the third floor. It's, it's like so that great. Chinese restaurant, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know who got his start there? Um, Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, Louis I think, C. his first gig or something. He used to sometimes like come back around. Eugene Merman, Gary Goldman. Right. Um, I love Brian that place, Kiley. man. They have like the yeah. best margaritas. Like, oh, oh, no, oh yeah, my those, God. Do you remember those uh, scorpion bowls? Where, like, yes. They would, yeah. It was, it was so much fun. And, and they have really good, oh my God, this is why I'm fat. They have really good spring rolls. I oh remember. yeah. The Chinese so, I was never so forget, good. like, you're, you're there to see stand-up. I didn't know it was a Chinese restaurant. You're there to yeah. see stand-up. And then they're just like throwing food at you. And I'm like, is this appropriate? Am I supposed I to be stuffing my face while this person like <laughs> does know. a little bit of observational humor on the page? <laughs> It was like, I loved, I love the fact that that's sort of where I started out in stand-up because it's like, it's the third floor of a Chinese food restaurant called the Hong Kong. Like the second floor is a dance club. The first floor is a Chinese food restaurant and it's across the street from Harvard. Like what? You know what I mean? Yeah, so I started doing stand-up there and that was literally around 04, 05. So I've been doing stand-up for a long time. Yeah, so NYT Vows certainly came after I was doing stand-up. So I started it about five years ago and, okay. uh, and yeah, it's just... Uh, it's so much fun. And it's and it's been really nice because obviously there's no stand-up to perform right now. Like I haven't been doing any Zoom shows or park shows. Um, and in fact, I think this might be a good opportunity for me to step away from performing. And I'm really fine with that. But it's nice to sort of have other formats to be creative. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure that's how you feel about this is like, you know, it doesn't have to be, at least for me, I was like, this is so nice to realize it doesn't have to be me going to a dank basement in the East Village on a Tuesday night at 11 o'clock to tell jokes. Like, no, I could write this funny Twitter and Insta and, you know, like go in different directions with that. Or I could do a podcast or I could, you know, just do things that don't require you to be 
out late at night, especially, yeah, like I'm 40 now. I mean, I don't really I mean, want to be. A, this is a book ready to write itself, like mm-hmm. the social commentary of vows. So, so you talked about in your bio that you sent to me, you said about the wedding industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Like, what are you seeing? Yeah. Since, I mean, I don't sit there religiously reading this for the last five years. So what are you seeing? I find trends in weddings to be fascinating. And I was in a sorority in college and I'm the youngest of three do- girls. So like I've gone to a ton of weddings. Um, right. And, you know, I've been a bridesmaid only like three or four times, but, but just attended a lot of weddings. Like I have a ton of, you know, pals that I, and I'm very good about staying in touch. But so I always find it fascinating to see trends in high-end weddings and trends in more middle-class weddings and like, what those are and how things sort of trickle down or, you know, like, I felt like, you know, I went to a lot of weddings back when like barns, like everyone was getting married in a barn. Oh my yeah. God. Like, right. you know, and it, was so that I, 2010, 2012. Is that my yes, imagination? Yeah, 2014? Yeah. yeah, it was exactly right around that time. I think I went and, to like two barn weddings in like a, in a weekend and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't have the right shoes or anything. Yeah. The shoes. I don't have like the right, I, I'm, I look Greek. <laughs> I don't, I don't belong here. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Like, and it, it always, it always, then the style is very shabby, chic, bales of hay, gourds, um, you know, of course the, you know, those, the glass jars, the mason jars, like. Look, I oh have, I'm literally drinking water out of one because this was like some of the wedding <laughs> gifts. This yeah. is the parting gift was like yes. a whole set of these. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, right around that era, I had some, or inspired by that era, I had some um, NYT vows that I wrote just about what, you know, some weddings being just like a sea of mason jars as far as the eye can see you know or like it's Pinterest ready exactly exactly you know like I find that stuff fascinating but that to be to be honest that's not necessarily like a lot of the weddings that are in vows are usually a little more high-end you know it's more like it's a country club one thing like I love name dropping specific country clubs because that always sort of freaks people out I think you know like especially like the Maidstone or the Devon which are both in East Hampton and when I was a kid my aunt belonged to both of them so like I am yeah I know it's not wait aren't they like something like two hundred thousand dollars a year to like be a member oh and it's like waiting list and you have to have all these referrals like it's I mean the Maidstone in particular is legendary and I can't believe as a kid we used to just go because my aunt belonged and like swim in the pool and then get their chopped salads which were delicious um but it's I like uh I mean, I sometimes joke around that I feel like my whole life I've been, you know, kind of accumulating information that pays off now, you know, be it from attending weddings or, you know, going to Hamilton I, with a ton Have you ever been married? No, no, never married. In do, fact, do you I want to get, do you believe in that institution? For a long, long time, I didn't believe in that institution. I have a ton of gay friends. And until gay marriage was legalized federally, I always would say, I just was like, I don't want to join a club that wouldn't have my friends as members. And and I always just admired people like Goldie Hawn or Kurt Russell. Like sure. you can decide what your your agreement yeah. is and you get to build your life and you figure it out, you know? And right. I mean, I have a friend who, when she and her husband got engaged, they both just started wearing wedding bands. And I just thought it was so cool. Oh, very was like, Greek of them. You know, in, our, in the Greek culture- men wear they get their wedding band when you get engaged as well and then they wear it on they wear it on their engagement finger i love that and then greek i don't do this nor nor, nor does my husband for a specific reason so when we got engaged he had his wedding ring and i had my engagement ring and Mm -hmm. we had put it on our left hand right Mm -hmm. engagement hand but in greek religion you're supposed to then when you get married and that's the priest that takes the ring off and puts it on your right hand oh i didn't know that so now we'll get ready for some cliche weddings from my wedding. So my wedding was it. a three-day wedding in Athens on the Athens <gasps> Riviera. 
In Athens, you are so great. (laughs) I I know. I love Athens, but it's not, it was not really, it was kind of like a destination wedding. Okay. So 300 people came to my wedding, which is relatively small for a Greek <laughs> wedding. Like my sister-in-law had 1400 people at her wedding. Oh my god! You just invite everyone. You invite the yeah. whole freaking village. At my wedding, because it was in Athens, a hundred people had to fly up from Crete where my husband is from. It's this island in Greece. Yeah. I had a hundred people that lived in Athens and then a hundred people traveled. I did not expect this many people, but a hundred people traveled from the U.S. and Europe. But we did it all three-day weddings. So like we, you know, I remember like the first day we, we paid for all this stuff. So we paid for um, a whole, we had a tour, we had a bus and tour guide that took, took them to the Acropolis, Acropolis Museum, Sunio That's Temple awesome. of Poseidon. That's so um, the night, the day before we did like a whole beach party. And that night we did like a nice taverna and then the day of the wedding and the best part of Greek weddings in Greece. And this is why my sister and I both got married in Greece. This is the specific reason why we decided to get married in Greece is you're going to spend so much money on a wedding anyway. Why wake up at 6 a.m. to get ready? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in Greece, you're not allowed to get married before 6 p.m. because there is national mandated siesta until 5.30. Oh, what? Right. So, That's nationally mandated? Yeah, so. It's a dream come true. Like, you can't be noisy between 2 and 5, okay? Oh, my God. You can't, you're not allowed to vacuum at those hours. You can't have loud music at those hours, like, especially wow. in the summer. So, Corsula, my sister and I, uh, we got married in Greece for the same reason, that we could have a fun time. And so, my wedding started at 7 p.m. Our reception, people got there at 30, 9 o'clock. My husband and I showed up at 10 by boat. <laughs> Oh, how cool. Oh my God. I just love it. I love a good yeah, entrance. Yeah. It was a good entrance because our thing was on the, it was like beach and then concrete. And it was just like, you know, mm-hmm. it looked like an infinity into the ocean sort of thing. That's and so cool. um, we came by boat. I had a lot of fun at my wedding. I think my That's guests so had a lot of fun at their wedding. It was a great yeah. time. If you don't mind, I might need to use some of that as inspiration for, because I didn't I'll know send that. you my wedding videos. Go for <laughs> it. Well, you know, what's funny though, is I thought I was hoping I would get into the vows. Like I had yeah. submitted I remember thinking like, okay, I'm a matchmaker in New York. My husband's a scientist, you know, you know, like chemistry of love or something mm-hmm. like, like so many great angles. Itself, you know, so many yeah. great angles. And the week I got, the weekend I got married was the weekend of the times where that woman, <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, I can't, I didn't get picked. That sucks. I wonder who it is. So the day after my wedding, which was a Sunday, I look up the New York times to see who got the vows. Yeah. And then I felt like an asshole. It was the woman <laughs> who walked down the aisle with a stranger who had her father's heart in him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do find it fascinating, like how they pick who they pick. And, you know, and I did, you know, my mom always says, cause my parents were in the, uh, in vows. Cause my mom is an Upper East Side native. Um, and cause my mom's mom was a dancer in the Ziegfeld Follies and was like a showgirl in New York. And what? my mom's dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how is, part- not, how is not, not the first sentence in your body. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's, but yeah, I mean, that's why, that's sort of why, part of why I love doing vows is my mom's side of the family. They're all sort of old New York, you know, like, right. and they're just wonderful people and just really fascinating. Um, you know, like my, and it's funny, I call her my mom's mom, but cause I never knew her, my grandmother um, on my mom's side, you know, they were just, they were real, like, New York socialites. Like my mom had her debutante ball in New York City. I always oh forget if goodness. it was. Yeah, but but so she she and my dad's wedding was listed in the Times. Um, and but you know it was back when there was no any type of attempt at diversity. Sort of you know like usually only the bride was pictured, and you simply had to be of a certain tier 
of society, you know, like, and now I really do appreciate that, you know, there's a little bit, they're trying to do some. There's definitely a lot more evident diversity. However, Mm -hmm. every time I read the vows, I am struck by how there is a certain class that is definitely predominantly represented and that's okay. Okay. That's, that's fine. You know, everyone has their own outlet, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I think what I just find interesting is when they start talking about like their parents and where they were educated and where they summer. Oh, I know. It just reminds me of like, I I feel like I'm reading the biography, the biography of Jackie O or something. Like what am I reading right now? How is this in 2020? I know. I find some of the particular name drops to be fascinating. You know, whether it's like Cuddy Hunk Island off of Cape Cod, that's only accessible by boat or like, or yeah, like, you know, they often have a, you know, that people will meet somehow like yachting or, you know, I mean, there's just this sort of currency of wealth where it's like squash playing, yachting, certain country clubs, certain schools. There's sort of this predictable through lines that, you know, provide great inspiration to me when I'm just sort of spitting out random tweets about this, this world. What are your favorite cringe moments when you're reading New York Times vows? I, you know, one thing that stuns me that happens every time is often I find that the Times will sort of like subtly troll the couple. Oh they my often- God, do you think that's on purpose? Yes. Well, oh my God, that makes me feel know. so much better now. I mean, I've always thought like, are they, maybe they're also, maybe this is also a certain kind of person that writes vows. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I mean, and granted, like maybe they don't see it that way, but, and maybe it's just sort of a journalistic practice of like, we share all of the quotes, we share all of the data, but here's a good example. Like there was some, there was a, um, a vows write up, you know, a few years ago. And it said that, you know, there was this trend in ha- asking people to lock up their phones and like not share photos on Instagram and just try to be present, you know? And, you know, I think it's another, another vows, another wedding trend that really trickled down from celebrity culture, you know, where it's like, you know, celebrities were doing this and then suddenly your average person who was in your sorority wants to do this at their wedding too. Okay. Um, But they had a write-up where they said, you know, like all guests were asked to please, you know, turn off their phones and all abided except four. And it just struck me as like so unnecessary to mention that four people didn't do it. And like, almost like to sow discord between these people at the wedding and the bride and groom. You know, I was like, why mention that four people didn't do it? You know, like, and it just felt like a weird move. But then I was like, maybe this is just the vows, the journalists being like, we report all of the information. That's what we do, you know? But it just struck Mm -hmm. me as like totally unnecessary. And so that I always think is sort of fascinating. And then especially just actually last week, there was one of these, like you see a lot of this, a guy who basically won't take no for an answer and it being, you know, kind of reframed as romantic, you know? And I think that can be- it's so weird that people even talk like that. Like he couldn't take no for an answer. Like and, and I don't mean like proposing, you're specifically mm. saying in terms of dating. Mm-hmm. Because like, like okay, Joe Biden proposed like four times or something, but they were already together. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. You know, know, he scored that date on day one, but that's not a reality that I live in because as a matchmaker, I, you know, my job is to set up the first dates and then the Mm -hmm. second dates. And if I find a guy lingering too much on one person, I always think to myself, like, do you like her? Do you like the idea of her? Mm. his idea of her is never going to measure up to whatever she is like she's not the madonna yeah yeah that you're looking for you know that must be fascinating for you to see from the inside because i know like i mean you know i've dated in new york for years and years like i moved to new york when i was 26 i'm 40 now i felt like i dated every freaking guy in this town Mm -hmm. um and you know there's some guys where now in retrospect i'm like oh okay like 
from that relationship, I was made to feel like I was too much. I, you know, felt very insecure or all these things. And then I realized, oh no, it's just, it was the guy, you know, like, yeah. And, and I'm sure you deal with a lot of that of, you know, I don't, I don't, so much of my job ends after the second date. (laughs) If they get into a relationship, like I'm like, okay, great. What's funny is I've had over, definitely over 20 clients have wedding vows and not Mm. a single one has ever mentioned they actually met through a matchmaker. Not really? a single one. Do they always yeah. sort of fudge it and claim, like, make up some story about, like, meeting at a bar They met or through a friend. Oh, interesting. One of, them, one of them had the nerve to say they met through a friend on a Greek island, and I'm like, that did not happen. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, or something like that, like, on a cruise in Greece or something. Something had Greece, and I was like, that didn't happen, but all right. Was that in the New York Times? It was one of these vow sections, but... And I, I've, I've seen like over 20. And, and in fact, what's funny is I sometimes don't even know that my clients are getting married until I see it yeah, in the vows. Like, oh, and I, I was that. like, oh, okay. Like someone got married during the pandemic. Like yeah. they didn't want to postpone their wedding anymore. So they just got married. Mm-hmm. I saw it in the vows and I messaged her. I was like, hey, congrats. <laughs> like, I would have liked to attend your Zoom wedding. <laughs> and now it seems like admitting if people met on, you know, Tinder or Match or whatever, it's oh, completely destigmatized now. Yeah, exactly. It's so normal. And and I mean, I've been reading the vows section since I was twelve because I'm a very weird bird. Also because when I was a kid, we had to stay home on Sundays. My parents were like, "This is family day. No one's allowed to." Go. Like right. basically, they didn't want to drive us anywhere. Right. So on Sundays, we always had to go to church. You know, we'd go to church as a family and then just chill at the house. Maybe my dad build a fire or whatever. You literally so, sound. This is exactly my family. You know, I ended up just reading the New York Times every Sunday because like it was there, you know, and I would read the wedding section every Sunday. And it's just fascinating. You know, I mean, obviously that was before a lot, you know, any of this online dating, but just to, I've watched it progress over the years of how, like, you know, it used to be like maybe one couple would admit they met on match, you know, and now it's so fascinating to even be like, some say it's match Tinder, the league, like the league is a big one in vows. Um, you know, and just how it's totally normal. There's no shame in it. And I think that's great. But also, I think that for that reason, people should admit that they, you know, went to you as a matchmaker. That's great. It's funny. Sometimes this has only happened four times in 12 years that I've had a business. But like, sometimes guys come in because they're thinking about getting divorced. They want to see, <laughs> this is very stupid, but they want to see like, if I were single, what are my prospects? Wow. And so they will give like a different name. Like maybe they'll give like their assistant's name or their boss's name and they'll come in like, cause you know, we'll run a background check before I meet them. You know, I need mm-hmm. to know who I'm talking to and someone else will show up and I'm like, okay, who are you? Like, what's going on? Why did you use a fake name? Like, give me more. Or they'll use a name that's like so common that I can't really run anything. And so like last year or like two years ago, this guy comes in and I do a Google search and I find his vows and I could see his wife and he's thinking about divorcing her. Oh, and they met through an app. I'm not saying it's about the app, but the app, I think, like invested in this couple too. I was like so heartbroken for this woman who just yeah. did not know that, it's you know, and I, and I'm, I'm obviously trying to shoo him away. Like, you know, you're still married. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And, doing? and also like, I just feel like the grass is always greener, you know, like how kind of yucky for guys like that to be like, let me see what's out there. It's like, why are you married? Like, yeah. And like, I mean, I was single and dating for so many years. And I heard from a lot of my friends, a lot of that, like, I live vicariously through you. Oh my God. You know? And I was like, listen, when you're in the trenches of dating in New York, like when you're in the thick of it, it's not fun and light. Like it's often really disappointing and sort of heartbreaking. And, you know, you make plans and then it was, it's canceled or, you know, you show up and the guy's very rude to you. Like, 
I mean, I had guys like make fun of me to my face. Like I just, sometimes the cruelty of people is so surprising. Can you recall your favorite vows on the New York Times that you've parodied, I mean? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it's tricky because I, I feel bad, but I feel like I sometimes love to hate certain ones. And then it's really ripe material for as a launch pad, you know, because generally vows is New York, you know, but mm-hmm. sometimes they'll pivot to, they'll like cover LA weddings or California weddings. And I generally, and I think it's because I love Palm Springs, California is like my favorite place. I love Palm Springs so much. I sort of love weddings because they're often, it's very kind of like the boho chic hipster destination for weddings. Um, So sometimes you'll hear about couples, either if they're LA based or New York based, or sometimes like Austin or Nashville based, but they'll have their wedding in Palm Springs. Mm -hmm. And often these people are insufferable, but I sort of, I just love a Palm Springs wedding. And actually that reminds me, there was one vows that this was maybe a year or two ago. And I just remember it like caught fire on the internet because it was a guy who was clearly cheating on his either live in girlfriend or wife. I can't remember which, but he went to Palm Springs to attend some sort of a, you know, corporate kind of, I think it was like a brand building workshop, but it was called like an unworkshop. Like, I mean, everything about this is just like kind of obnoxious. And he met a woman there you could read between the lines that they clearly had hooked up that night. Like it was just interesting to see how the way that like the times was trying to kind of craft it as this like romantic chance encounter at a work event. And they were from different companies, but they met in Palm Springs. But like, you know, I mean, read between the lines, he's cheating on his wife or living girlfriend. And uh, you know, like everything about it was just sort of yucky. And the guy sounded like such a cad. And the internet had a field day. And it did provide me with a lot of inspiration, you know, just because I mean, I love Palm Springs. Um, but I think it is appealing to a certain type of kind of like obnoxious person. So I don't, I really, I remember that one. I was like, oh, there's just so much here. And it's always nice when other people, like when people on the internet are just like, like they're excited about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's when suddenly I'll get more followers. There's more engagement, you know. Recently you posted a correction on the vows. This was a wedding that took place in, I believe, I think it was like 1988. Oh, 88. Yeah. Yeah. And they said that she, that the bride had graduated from Boston University And in fact, she graduated from Brown and she, and maybe it's just because like, this was back before, you know, it would necessarily like, it wouldn't be on the internet. Like you just either had the newspaper that day or you didn't. So I guess this bride didn't fully realize it until I think, what was it like 2009 or I forget. 2007. And I think she contacted the times. And so they released a, yeah, a correction. (laughs) I know. And I also thought like, that's so vows worthy too, to be like, I went to an Ivy. I didn't go to Boston university, you know, like with all due respect to Boston university, like the bride went to Brown. Hello. (laughs) Right. The reason why I enjoy following your social media is because it gives me a break throughout the day. Mm. Just kind of like, you know, participate in mm-hmm. what's what's being written about yeah. someone's most special day yeah. and the thing about the vows is it's what you said is it's for some people this is truly the day the number one day of the rest of their lives and i i don't think of my wedding like that like when i got married i just thought of it as a fun weekend with my friends and some family yeah. came by to experience a really nice weekend and uh okay like let's yeah let, let's go home now i've got more thi- i've got more accomplishments yeah. I need to like and, and I'm glad I'm really glad that you said that because that is really something that was almost the like incentive for me to even create this account is, you know, I had friends of mine who I knew from college or childhood, and it seemed like for a number of women, 
for some women, there's this sense that like getting married is the be all end all. And there, you know, there's no interest in career. There's no interest. Like I went to college just for fun. It's just so sad to me that I think, and this is very much, you know, a message from society, but for some people who just think like they need so badly to be married, to feel like valuable or, you know, like they've spent their lives trying to find this husband. And it's I work in the pre-industry to wedding, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I have to say, when I've posted about my business accomplishments, four years ago, we won Best Matchmaking Agency in New York, or wow. even launching this podcast, I see how many likes I get on my Facebook, which is mostly like personal. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's like 400 likes. But when I post about my wedding, I get it. I get it. I got married. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it was like yeah. 1500 likes. And that like upset me so much. Cause I was yeah. like, really? Oh, I know. Like, I how know. come you guys can't like when I, you know, I work so hard mm-hmm. on my business. I barely worked for this relationship. It was seamless. It was awesome. I picked a great guy. I, I quite literally believe I won the lottery in terms of men and it's like, this is what's going to get the 1500 likes. Like, come on. You know? I know, exactly. The idea of getting married never appealed to me. And it just, it makes me sad the way that I think society has like, you know, force fed some Kool-Aid to a lot of women of like, no, this is the only way that you have meaning. And this is the only thing people will congratulate you for, um, you know, and men too. You know, I mean, I think everyone is, you know, swimming in the waters of patriarchy and, and how we, we definitely have to like lean in on not to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the nouveau rich Mm -hmm. sometimes in your Twitter and Instagram posts. What element screams nouveau riche? And is that a bad thing, by the way? I'll I'll answer by starting with this. Like the, to me, the voice of vows is an old woman who has, has old money and sort of like hates new money. And so, you know, nouveau riche is very new money. And, and this is something I learned from my hometown. There's a lot of rich people and no one is cheaper than rich people. And so I always find it almost funny to disparage the nouveau riche because old money is so insufferable. Like usually they have threadbare carpets. They hardly heat their homes. They live in giant estates, but like they drive an old Jeep, you know, like, I mean, they hardly heat their homes. Oh, it's oh true. Oh, it's so true. I mean, no one is cheaper than wealthy people, truly. But so I think like, it's funny because as much as in NYT, vows, I jokingly disparage nouveau riche, you know, because the idea of nouveau riche is like, it's ostentatious, it's showy, it needs to tell you that it's rich. But if you're really rich, you almost look poor. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, that's the absurdity of it. Like, you know, I mean, the wealthiest people in my hometown, they all drove like those types of Jeeps that had the wood side, you know, like the, like woodies, like, and like their houses were kind of falling down, but it was a family estate. Like, and so they had acres of land, but like the house was in disrepair, but like you knew they were rich. Like, it's just so funny because I think, I mean, also I find, I find sort of these subtle class indicators to be fascinating too. And this is something that- What is a class indicator? Like, give me an example. I would say like maybe, you know, in your mid twenties and going on vacation and like, you already know how to sail. You know, I just think like, oh, it's kind of a class indicator. Like, oh, wow, you spent your childhood sailing, you know, or Mm -hmm. um, certain clothing where, you know, like even- even like a cheap white t-shirt. Like I, I mean, I, my white t-shirts are from old Navy, you know, like mm-hmm. that's because a white t-shirt, you're going to cycle through it, whatever. But like certain people, certain wealthy people, their throwaway white t-shirts are from J crew. Let's say you decide to get married. Have you thought about what your vetting vow will look like? 
my family jokes around that I'm the final hope of our family to get into the vows section because my sister Emily, I think Emily submitted, didn't get in, but she also doesn't have much of a New York connection. And then I can't remember if my other sister Laurel did, but because I went to college in upstate New York and have lived in New York and because of NYT vows, like, you know, we joke around that it's like, I'm the last hope. And, you know, I give the Times credit. Like they've, they've written me, they've mentioned me in two different articles in the Times and they've called me about it. And wait, what did they say? In one article, it was like right when the account started and it was about, both articles were sort of about making fun of the wedding section. And they had a few instances, like there was a book that came out years ago make, that pretended, I think, to be like a compilation of the wedding section. So it was just different write-ups of like, you know, fictitious couples. And then actually a comedian friend of mine, Jenna Friedman, made a fake vows video where she basically like married, I think like an axe murderer, but like the video was very vows, you know, how they used to do those videos of that they would post online. But then the most, the write-up that I thought was the nicest, which I actually have hanging on my wall over here. I got it framed. They, you know, they, the title of it is like to mock our wedding pages, get in line. And then, you know, they just talk about how, you know, there's this sort of cultural enjoyment in mocking the wedding pages. And so they mentioned me by name and I give them a quote and they called me and, and, you know, and I give them credit for, they take it in good fun. And, and I do try to be respectful of them and be like, you know, I, uh, you know, you, we only roast the things we love, that kind of thing. But yeah, I do. I'm more open to the idea of marriage because, you know, marriage equality has been passed across the country. And I've always said that, you know, if I were to ever get married, I would just like to wear a pillbox hat, a birdcage veil and get married at and have my reception be like 20 people at Strip House, which is my favorite steakhouse in New York City. Do you know um, Strip House? I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, Isn't that I love that. That's I know. Great. I love sort of a retro look. In fact, I have a pill, I have the, the veil and everything. <laughs> oh my God. Does your boyfriend know this? <laughs> well, I, I always, I mean, I'm like, I have it because I have a lot of costumes for my comedy. <laughs> sure, sure. Tell me a little bit more about your podcast. Yes, Two Week Minimum. It is truly just a really silly, silly, fun podcast. 30-minute episodes generally. It's easy candle conversation. We talk about hot topics in the candle community. I mean, it is truly like... I'm sorry. I'm so confused. Like the candle community? <laughs> Basically, like I, I, do, I love candles. Like truly, I love, you know, Veluspa. Uh, I mean, there's some people who love Joe Malone or, you know, I mean, Bath and Body Works, Yankee Candle. Like, we literally just talk about different scented candles, but it doesn't have to be scented. It could just be unscented tapers or votives, you know. For 30 I mean, minutes. <laughs> wow. All right. Isn't it insane? That is insane. So I have a different guest on each episode, and we talk about that guest's candle journey and sort of how they got into candles. Candle and... journey. <laughs> yes! Oh my god, I love that you're the one making fun of people in the New York Times vows when, like, you're literally oh, right, for, right for parody oh, right now. I am secretly a trash bag. <laughs> It's bonkers. Yeah. I, I'm very high-low. You know what I mean? I love that. <laughs> Here's what we do at Ask a Matchmaker. Okay. Every week I take audio questions, sometimes writing questions, but in this particular case, we have two audio questions from our listeners. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to listen to the question and then we're going to answer that question. Love it. Hi, Matchmaker Maria. It's Liz from Boston. I'm 36, and here's my question. I've been online dating on and off for about 13 years. I've always seen it as a surefire way to at least go on dates to meet new people, um, especially when I haven't been able to meet a lot of people socially. So I'm leaning on the apps all the more. And as 
It often happens. It gets really tiresome. It gets deflating. So I'm wondering, is there some point where I should say the apps aren't working for me, that for whatever reason, they're just not leading me to success, whether it's that I'm not picking the right people or that I'm not able to build a connection quickly enough or whatever, that I should take myself out of the app game and fully focus on other means of meeting people? And if so, how do I do that during COVID? I think this is a great question. I think this is the question that's on everyone's minds when it comes to like, how do I date if I don't want to online date when everything is shut down? Totally. Also, I find it very relatable. I mean, I on, I was online dating for, you know, my whole time in Boston and then, you know, my whole time in New York, like, and it can be so deflating. I know I always used to just take breaks. Like, I sometimes would give myself like, you know, for the summer, I just want to sort of chill and see other ways that I could do it. And because I mean, online dating can be great because it really feels like, okay, I'm telling the universe I'm open to things, you know, and I'm just trying to stay in the Mm -hmm. mix. But I also think I found for me, at least there was value in deliberately being like, okay, I'm going to table this. And, you know, it's not necessarily deleting your account. It may be like pausing your account or kind of pulling yourself out of the mix. You know, even if it's for a few months, just because you're like, uh, I just feel like this has become a chore. It's not enjoyable. But as far as dating now, I mean, I do think it's very difficult with COVID and I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's so unfortunate that the ways that you meet people of like all cramming into the basement of a restaurant or a bar, like just aren't available anymore. When I was single, I didn't online date that much. I had to learn how to go out and about. And the reason why is I felt that my height was hurting me. And I felt that my body type was hurting me online as well. Mm-hmm. I'm 5'11". I'm voluptuous. And I'm not saying that there aren't men who are totally into my body type. There absolutely are men that are totally into my body type. I just didn't find, you know, online dating as efficient as if I had gone out. Mm -hmm. And I get the element of going out has kind of stalled a little bit in COVID, but it really hasn't. There are still ways to meet people out in the wild. So to Liz's question, you know, Liz, you, you're, you're online dating and you're experiencing dating fatigue and that is perfectly normal experience to have online. And, and if you are experiencing dating fatigue, you have two options. You can either just take a little bit of time off, like Selena just recommended, or you can go listen to episode one where we talk to you about the 55 rule um, with, and, and a few more other tips on online dating and like how to help you Uh, online date with more efficiency and and experience less dating fatigue. Now, if you're not going to online date, here is what I would do. Here's what I did. And here's what I would do in your case. I would literally block out two days a week, let's say Tuesdays and Thursdays for the next 90 days. And now you have to go into Eventbrite and meet up and start finding social events that are being hosted on those two days. Even in COVID, things are right now happening. Even if they're digital, I'm telling you, I have a group coaching class and by the end of it, all of these women are best friends. Uh, They're bonding, they're traveling, they're doing things together. And so I think you can still do things on Zoom and have a connection and then you could take that offline. But what you have to do is block out your calendar for the next two, three, for the next three months, two days a week. So let's say, Liz decides every Tuesday and Thursday, those are my social days. Great. Now you go to Eventbrite, you search for all the Tuesday events happening next month and you start booking yourself for all of these things. You're not going to do this last minute. You're doing it now. And you start building a new social circle. Every person's an opportunity, right? If you meet a few new girlfriends, great. 
now you have new women to meet. Maybe you'll meet their brother. Maybe you'll be a, a typical New York Times vow write-up. <laughs> yeah. They met through a mutual friend. <laughs> yeah. I actually just, last week, I went to a concert online. Margot Price, one of my favorite singers. She's mm-hmm. a sort of country Americana. And they, as part of the ticket, you could also go into a Zoom room and it was just, you know, other Margot Price fans. So you're watching the concert and then there's wow. a Zoom room and they had a chat box and we're all in there with like greetings from Brooklyn. Other people were like, hey, I'm here. Like, and people were, it was really neat. We all sort of sort of talking and I was wearing a Margot Price t-shirt. And so some people were like, oh my God, Selena, your shirt. And, and then one guy ended up following me on Instagram. Like, I think there are interesting ways to really connect. This with is people. very AOL 1998. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, and I think that's the spirit that we're trying to capture for going online. There's definitely a way to have like an online connection. Just take it offline as soon as possible. Get on yeah. that Zoom call, get on that FaceTime call and then meet. Also, you know what I think could be a cool, like, and this is something when I, I used to tr- try to like wear a conversation starting t-shirt when I would go out at night a lot. Oh. And so what about a conversation starting mask? Like, you know, if you like, cause I like, if you go for a walk, I know this is like so like pandemic chic, but you know, I mean, I think it can be worthwhile to maybe like go for some walks around Boston, like Newbury, Boylston, and what if you like buy a mask that either says like, hi, or has a cool, like, and something, a graphic that somebody could recognize from afar, it could be just to put, you know, like kind of inspire conversation. Like I have a mask that I wear that has guns and roses symbol. on it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, like you just never know. I teach this in my coaching classes, but there are certain colors that get a higher rate of talking to green oh, wow. and blue, especially green. Gosh, green. If you wear that, that is the color that mm-hmm. I don't know why men are just really attracted to out and about and strangers yeah. will talk to you. Purple is the least. Purple is the least talked up color. Green is the most. What about? I used to wear just so much black. Black, white, and gray. um, Oh, that's my strangers. (laughs) If you're trying to meet strangers, black, white, and gray are not the colors. But blue and green, blue, green, blue, green, and if you are of, if you have a darker skin complexion, um, gold. Oh, Um, or yellowish, yellow. Like those are really good colors. At any time, I've worn a green dress. I was nine months pregnant wearing a green dress, and guys still came up and talked to me. And now, and then I knew who had pregnancy fetishes. (laughs) But whatever. Okay. One last question. Hi, Maria. My name is Lena and I'm 35 years old. I live in New Jersey and I'm currently thinking about starting online dating. I'm a single mom and I'm just really not sure how I'm supposed to bring that up online. Do I talk about my kids or do I post photos of them? When do I bring them up? Thanks for your help. Lena, whatever you do, you do not post photos of your kids online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're online dating, so I don't care what you do on uh, other social media. Do you, you online dated, so have you seen single dads I have, talk about their I, kids? I, yeah, I always appreciated guys who were shot really straight about that, because I'm a straight shooter too. So like in my profile, I would always say like, I'm never having children. It's not in the cards for me. If you really want to have kids, I'm not your girl. And so I always appreciated, you know, the other side of that coin, you know, when we're in our thirties, like you got to just be honest about this stuff. So I think it can't hurt to just totally, you know, be completely candid about your situation. And, but I do think you kind of want to be careful about the language of just to make sure that you seem open to new things. Like I remember seeing a lot of guys where they were like, you know, my kids are my world and that's great. But it almost felt to me like, is there room for me? or anyone else, you know, like, so I think I'm sure those men would say, of course there's room, but they also want to show. And I think it can come off as, I know how that, I know exactly what you're saying, 
Yeah. I think, you know, like, I think in Lena's case, I think it actually, it's just a simple sentence. I mean, look, yeah. most dating websites, they actually ask, do you have children? Do you want more children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could just and fill think, that out. There's no secret yeah. there. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I remember right before I met my current boyfriend, I went on a single date with this guy and we just like met in Bryant park and sat outside and had coffee. And he hadn't mentioned that he was like going separated and had two kids. And I just remember feeling a little bit like that. How did that make you feel? I feel like I would have been lied to. Yes. I felt like I'd been lied to, you know, and, and also this guy was sort of odd. He was very evasive in general about his life. You know, he's like, so yeah, we sold the house, blah, blah. And I remember on the date, I was like, who's we? And he was like, oh, sorry, me, the wife I'm separated from and our two kids. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, I mean, a person who's going to spend maybe an hour with you or two and take out of their time. Like, I just think you owe them total honesty up front of like, hey, here's what we're dealing with. And if like, that's how I always presented. I was just like, if you want to have kids, I'm not your girl. So here's, here's why he didn't tell you. This happens a lot where guys don't specifically say it's not because they're trying to hide their children. It's because they want to date women who don't have kids and who don't want kids. Um, because you apparently had it in your profile. So it's like, so that's one reason. The second reason is they're trying to date way below their age belt. Yes. So how old was this guy? Oh, he, I mean, at the time, I think I was 38, 39 and he was, I think he was mid forties. Like, yeah. And and who knows if that was even true? I mean, I, yeah, it probably wasn't. It sounds like he's probably in his early fifties. I've seen this not so much at work, but like, you know, I, I do every time I meet a woman, I meet four women a day. For the last 12 years. <laughs> wow. Right. And every time I meet a woman, I ask her about her last three breakups or, you know, give me your breakup story. Like what's going on? So I've heard a lot of the same thing. And I also ask this to men too. I, I meet many men over the week. And the one thing that I've noticed is that if, if a person is a parent, especially a, a male, if he's, if he's a father or a dad, he, and he doesn't talk about his kids, that he's most likely still married. And he's not, he's being a little bit of, you know, kind of loosey goosey with the most basic facts of his life yeah. because he's not trying to let on that he's still married with kids. Yeah. Uh, that's usually the, the, the case or, and the other case is that he's not divorced yet. He's still separated mm-hmm. or he wants to date someone below his age belt, like below a Just- normal age range, let's say, like, let's say like more than 10 year age difference. And those women might be turned off by the fact that he's already single dad. So those guys think if I go on a great first date with her, I can tell her on the second date, Hey, I have kids and she'll be okay with it because I'm amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. not the case. You've lied. I think men really underestimate how many women are totally open to being stepmoms. Oh, hundred. I mean, my whole life, that's what I knew I wanted. I always knew I'm never having children. I am told, I've always thought I would love to be a stepmom. Like, I don't know how you had your online dating profile, but if you don't want to have kids who are being a stepmom, put that in your profile. Literally say, I'm not interested in my own kids, but I would love to be a stepmom. Mm. Great. Like, I don't have yeah. to have another, you know, feed another child. Amazing. Like, there are yeah. men who don't want to have more kids. Yeah. And yeah. I get that all the time. I have clients like that. So many of my clients are men who have children who just don't want more kids, mm-hmm. which means that either I have to do something to women who have older children, mm-hmm. or they don't want a woman who wants more kids, who wants kids, mm-hmm. period. Now, in Lena's case, she's a woman, she's a single mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. Then the difference between a single mom and most single dads is that single moms, they probably have the kids 80% of the time yeah so what she needs to say here is like she you know by her saying i'm a single mom she's already telling the guy listen on most weekdays i'm unavailable except wednesday night yeah yeah (laughs) and every other weekend 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's okay to say um, in like a sentence, like, you know, obviously the, web, the, the, the way the apps are built, you can select, you know, I already have children or I want more children, but you can also put a sentence when you're talking about yourself, like soccer mom, or like, I, I, you know, I have everything in my purse after all, I'm a mom, you know, or so, something. Oh, that's yeah. just, just such a stupid sentence. Please don't anyone use that. But you know, there's ways to convey that, you know, single mom, a uh, single mom every other weekend, hot girlfriend every other weekend, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, there's a way to play with words here and talk about the fact that you are a single mom. And what Mm -hmm. is going to happen? A lot of guys are not going to want to date you, but do you really want to experience dating fatigue with men who are just not a match for you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's I would never want to date a man who, you know, doesn't want kids. I have kids. Mm -hmm. I come with kids. That's my identity. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the thing, and it, you know, it's not going to change my mind. Like I, I used to go on a lot of dates with guys who they thought, even though they read it in my profile, they thought they would convince me otherwise or that I didn't really believe it. And I was like, you know, I mean, don't waste my time. Like, which is why I think it is important to, yeah, just speak candidly about what you have, what's going on, what's your deal. And yeah, and, and not sort of hide that or not be like, oh, I'll reveal it on the third date. Because if you reveal it later, I think you- Oh, it if, hurts too much. Yeah. If you are lying by one or two years on your online dating profile or about your kids, that that- that needs to come out immediately on a message. Oh, like, yeah. hey, just so you know, I know it says that I'm 39, but I'm actually 41. I just mm-hmm. figured I, I won't be able to meet really great women if I put 41 because most women search up to 39. I hope yeah. you can forgive me. Yes. Literally should be the first, the second thing out of your mouth. Yeah. Most women are be like, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I know. I mean, yeah. I remember when I was 27, I dated a guy who was, he claimed to be 39. He was actually 45 and he didn't reveal it until Well, dates. that's a two, that's way too Yeah, it was 20. a big jump and he revealed it after dates and dates and dates. And I was like, uh, like, I just felt like, okay, so you've been sort of misleading me for a long time here. Like everything about it just felt very strange. I once had a woman sign up on our service and I had called her in and she had said that she was 45. And all I could do is I kept staring at her neck and thinking like, wow, like this woman, she looks like shit. She looks older than my mom. Mm. Like what is, what's going on here? You know? And then I kept asking her more questions and and she's talking about her mother. And I was like, wait, what year was your mother born? And she says this, I'm like, wow. So she had you at 45. That must've been really taboo. You know, (laughs) like I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but like there was a certain taboo to having children older, Mm -hmm. you know, before 1980. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, she was telling me that she was born in 1958 uh, to a woman who was 45. I'm like, that yeah. that's crazy to me. Like yeah. that just, you know, are you the eighth, 18th child from an Irish Catholic family? Like yeah. what, what is the math here? You know? <laughs> yeah. She told me she was like the oldest and I'm like, how, you know? So, and she was like, kind of like, I could tell you I was getting her upset. One of my employees texts me saying, you know, Hey, we just ran a check. She's 60. So I said to her, listen, before we go forward, I need to just see your, we do this all the time. I need to see your state ID just to confirm who you are before we run a background check. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm not going to give that to you. And I'm like, okay, we can't work together. And I wasn't planning to, it was just a way to get her out of there. Anyway. So I remember her saying at some point, I was like, so are you 45? It's okay if you're not, but like, are you? And she's like, no, I'm 60, but I only want to meet men who are like, you know, 45 to 50. And I said to her, I didn't say this to her. I just said, you know, whatever. But, you know, after the fact, I kept thinking like a 45 year old woman in New York is a woman who probably still has kids in high school. Yeah. A 60 year old woman is a, she might become a grandmother. Mm-hmm. It's just such two different lifestyles. And I thought to myself, this person's probably lying online mm-hmm. and I'm she sure hurt. she feels energetic. 
I get that. I totally get that. But the fact of the matter is, is that if a 45-year-old man is reaching out to a 45-year-old woman, he's expecting a 45-year-old woman. Yes. And I think she's, she's misleading people to her own detriment. Because I think there are a lot of guys out there who might think a 60-year-old woman, like, if she had kids, they're out of the house. She's free to travel. Mm-hmm. She is more, she has a lot more freedom, probably well, maybe more financially stable. Cause she like, it's too bad. Cause I think she was actually selling herself short, but she thought she was doing it, you know? Well, Selena, it was really great having you on Ask a Matchmaker. Yeah. Thank um, you so much, Maria. This has been super fun. How can people find you, Selena? They can find me on my website is selenacopic.com, S-E-L-E-N-A-C-O-P-P-O-C-K. And my personal Insta and Twitter are the same thing, Selena Copic. And then of course, N-Y-T-V-O-W-S. I have Twitter and Insta, and that's my beloved NYT Vows. And I haven't done it in a while, but I do have my sweet love, Two Wick Minimum. It's a silly podcast about candles. Thanks, Selena. Uh, I am actually going to have all of the links to all of your stuff in the episode details. So if you're interested in following Selena and checking out her vows and her website and her comedy special, head on to our episode notes. All of the links will be there. And thank you again for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard and you have not already, rate, review, and of course, subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell all your friends. If you have a dating or relationship question, visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60-second audio question. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria for more dating and relationship tips. Again, I screenshot. Warning, please do not get mad at me this is this is it you you give me your dating question on my dms and i will give you advice for free but in turn i will screenshot that and and post it and that this is this is the social contract i have with you dear listener on ask a matchmaker every wednesday on instagram stories and obviously every time the podcast drops a new episode until then be lovable and more importantly be likable see you next week